Hi, you're listening to Under the Radar. Between the main episodes where we feature our big band or artist interviews is this space, where I shed some light about the making of the current episode and play some raw tape that didn't make the main show. So the last artist interview we featured in Season 2 was Julian Baker. And as we're finally at the close of Season 2, this mini-episode, we have not one, but two guests to chat about it. One was already a fan before she heard the episode, and the other somebody who became a true fan after listening to the episode. If you're interested in being a guest, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts. I love to have fans of a musician or a band on the show, so if that's you, then email me at celine.toblocky at undertheradarmag.com. That's also in our show notes. And if you want to do something fun, send me a voice message on undertheradarpodcast.com. You'll see the mic icon, click it, record a message, and I'll play it on the show. I'm also on Instagram at Celine Teoblocky and at UTR Podcast. Now, if you've stumbled on this episode without listening to the main episode, please make sure you do. Okay, for the first piece of tape... I was gutted this piece didn't make the final cut. I even used a bit of it as a quote on our uh, podcast Instagram because the point Julian makes about making space is so poignant. But also, as I say in audio, you have to kill your babies when you want to make good radio. So this one didn't make it. But anyway, here Julian is sharing her views about why she kept striving to be a good Christian. You know, I, sp- I spent so long trying to justify myself and my own existence within a context of American evangelicalism, which I believe is honestly like unrecognizable from the tenets of Christianity. I mean, it just is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it's like, why? Like, I wanted so badly to reconcile myself to this religion because I wanted to declare my space in it and and make space for other queer people. But if I can recognize that this is an extremely skewed, toxic, weaponized bastardization of something that was ultimately supposed to be like a tool, I do believe this, that like, and I believe this about all faith traditions, mm-hmm. it is supposed to be a tool about how better to treat other human beings. It's a tool on how to live harmoniously with others and then people add to it or change it or like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel yeah. like <laughs> they're you institutionalize it and put rules. And it doesn't even have to be like, it's all infallible. You know, I like, I think that's where we make like a dire mistake is when we don't continue editing when we just decide that a passage that says that like women shouldn't speak in church still belongs in the rule book that we're gonna use to teach our children and to live our lives and like pray about at baseball games and stuff like that it's a bit like the constitution it is like it is exactly (laughs) and that is again why i think america loves to do that right loves to like take a document decide that it's the definitive empirical guide and then not alter it out of some weird superstitious allegiance to what like to to it being old (laughs) like i feel like seriously and i think that's really dangerous because it's like imagine 
and there are people who do this because they never mind i I was about to go on a whole like metaphor (laughs) cliff but i'll reel myself back in i love how julian's so passionate about this issue that she gets completely carried away but also she has that self-reflexivity to stop herself This next tape I want to play because quite a few people have mentioned that her talking about listening to music in the back of a pickup truck was one of their favorite parts of this episode. Here Julian is just after she had recounted that memory, which took a little bit of cajoling. And this is something like, thank you for kind of letting me like access those memories of like being in the bed of a truck and doing all the like kind of bad but (laughs) just like american teenager things because it's like i don't know i feel like this work talks a lot about addiction in a, a really scathing way and i've historically talked about that like so much in my songs but it's just interesting to remember myself or like to think that I used to have such a dichotomous like worldview of myself as like old me who was kind of a punk kid who did mildly bad things like underage drinking and like shoplifting or whatever. And then I demonized that part of myself for such like for many years, even in like how I would talk about myself in interviews. Like at once I was I had been a sober person for many years I feel like I just regarded the very lost, like, child that was me with so much disdain that, like, I don't even think at that time I was mature enough to understand how destructive, you know what I mean? Because when I talk about, like, everybody just, like, drinking Everclear at the underpass, mm-hmm. it's, it is, like, when you're like, wow, that's so sweet, Like, I would have never thought of that adjective. That's so, you know what? It is sweet. It's, like, tender. And I feel like, I don't know, that's just another way that I guess I'm trying to change, like, how I I talk about myself and my music. And especially how I talk about addiction, because it's so important not to, like, oversimplify something so nuanced. I always want to create a safe space for my guests because often their songs and their memories will delve into darker, more personal struggles. But when they're younger, I think I feel even more of a responsibility to do that. I didn't have to go out of my way to be protective of Julian, but what she says in this next piece of tape, I found incredibly touching and I think can be hopeful for other young people. It's funny because like when I think of that time in my life, because all these very emotionally taxing, difficult things were happening for me and because there was a lot of turmoil in my own life, you know, by my own design or not, I focused so much on like rehashing those and dealing with those painful parts that, yeah, you're right. Sometimes it is nice to remember that those two things can coexist you know like I can understand the incredibly hurtful and traumatic things that happened to me or situations that I was in as a kid without completely dismissing the very real like joys of youth that I was able to experience. So now we get to reading reviews. There's this one for the Shushu episode that came in last month from M. Donovan. The title reads One of My Fave Music Pods. 
Celine does a really good job of finding a balance between giving space for the artist to talk and adding in what seems to be her subtle but rich background in music. I found the Shushu and Courtney Barnett interviews float in a way where they were over before you know it and are left with a perfectly elevated parasocial relationship with the artist. Thank you, M. Donovan. And to all the Shushu fans far and wide that tune into that episode, thank you so much for listening. Moving along, we have another review here. It's titled Great Conversations and it's from Alison O110. I discovered this podcast from Lucy Dacus's episode back in 2021 and I resonated most with her talking about the song Thumbs and her relationship with her father. I later listened to the Julian Baker episode when it came out and it was also a fantastic conversation. So our first guest today is younger than we've ever had on the show. But because Julian's music does deal with her struggles as a teenager... I think it's not only serendipitous, but also appropriate that this guest reached out to us. Hi, my name is Allison. I'm in high school. I found Julian through the song Appointments. So how long have you been a fan of um, Julian Baker? And thank you for reaching out. That's no problem. I'm really happy to be here. Um, I've been a fan since I think early 2020, around like before the pandemic started. What was it about the pandemic that brought you to listening to the episode or even to that particular song, actually? Let's talk about the song. I think I might have been like stuck at home after lockdown and I was just I was kind of bored at home and just exploring my Apple Music library and somehow found appointments. It was kind of difficult at that time in my life just because it was difficult for everyone because, you know, pandemic. So so that song kind of gave me some inspiration and hope to keep pushing through. What was it about that song that kind of resonated with you? And like, what were you going through? I was kind of struggling the most with depression mm. around that time. And just kind of general loneliness and disillusionment with the world. Mm -hmm. I just didn't feel like I had anyone who I could really talk to. And I just... A lot of the lyrics in that song felt personal to me. Was there any one particular line for you that hit hard? There was that, that one lyric, maybe the emptiness is just a lesson in canvases. And that hit me really hard because I never thought of it like that before. I think I still try to remind myself of that if I ever feel a certain way and it feels hopeless. So to me, that line suggests that this difficult moment will pass. It's a hopeful line. Alison found it comforting. She took the lyrics to mean the bleakness can be seen as a blank page from which to start something new. She says it gave her a new perspective from which to look at life that she hadn't really explored before. It's amazing how music can do that, isn't it? Yeah. 
How did you find the podcast? It might have been the Facebook group or someone on Twitter posted it. And I just decided to listen to it because I really like the conversations that she has. I think she's a really great person for conversation. She says a lot of profound, interesting things. I agree. She's so great at just mm -hmm. expressing her feelings in a way that's so articulate. But also she's so lighthearted when she does the interviews because the songs yeah. seem so dark. Do you find that? I mean, it can get kind of morbid at times when she talks in interviews, but I think she's overall, she's a pretty like lighthearted person and she makes a lot of jokes and stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what about the episode really stood out for you and resonated with you? I really enjoyed when she was talking about her musical memories throughout her life and how when she was younger, she would just go around driving with her friends and listening to music and she would just be thinking about how much she just loved music. That's something that I think is a universal experience for a lot of people. No matter what kind of music you listen to, it's like almost everyone has some kind of memory that's just about how much they love music. The other guest that I have for this episode is somebody who listened to the episode and became a fan of her music. Whereas for you, you were already a fan before you listened to the episode. So was there anything in the episode that kind of, that you didn't know about that you sort of, you know, felt like struck you about what she's doing or what she's going through or, or how she kind of, helps you to get through the things that are harder for you as a teenager? Hmm, I think her experience growing up in the church is something that I kind of resonate with. I wasn't super religious growing up, but I did go to church for a while. Like, it's just interesting to see how, like, other people have grappled with the concept of God in their lives. What's your experience with that? My mom was not religious, but my dad was a Christian. And when he still lived um, in the same city as me, he would take me to church um, every Sunday. And I guess I had a kind of good relationship with it for a while. But then he kind of just, he moved away and stopped taking me. And so I, I didn't have that same relationship with God that I did before. Alison's dad now lives in a different state, so she looks on her time going to church with him very fondly. She says it was one of the few things that they did regularly together, and it made her feel like she was part of something bigger than herself, even if she did sometimes complain about going. But I think every kid does complain about going to church. I know I certainly did. Some people just kind of be like, oh, religion is such a bad thing. But Julian is one of those people who's like, no, it's cool to be Christian. It's good to pray. It can help you see the world in a particular way. What's your thoughts on that? I think it can, it can be a dangerous tool, but it can also be used as a tool to bring people together. Like, like most things in this world, it can be used for good and evil. It's it's a very complex thing. It can be used to control people out of fear or it can be used to quell people's fears. Someone like Alison is really looking up to an artist like Julian and watching how she moves through the world. 
So as a young person, I was curious what Alison thought of the pressure that Julian felt having this responsibility. Yeah, I, I think it must be a, a really big burden, but also a gift to have so many people listening to what you're saying. You can have a huge effect on people, so you can you can use that to spread any kind of message. And if you say something wrong, that can have terrible consequences. And a lot of people are going to hear that. But if you say something good and inspirational, a lot of people will also hear that. And I think it's hard to know how to use that properly. But I think Julian, she's done a lot to try and use that platform that she has for something good. Do you feel like you um, would like to like write music and like creatively express yourself that way? Yeah, I would, but I, I don't, I haven't shown much of my music to anyone. Why not? Not even your parents? <laughs> well, I've shown them a little bit, but uh, I don't know. I'm kind of shy about it. This is a little melody that Alison wrote recently that she felt brave enough to share with all of us. It's called Song in G Major. And she often has new melodies in her head when she's trying to sleep and has to get out of bed to record them. This short little riff came into my head and I wanted to get it down so I wouldn't forget. That's what Alison said. I think the melody is so pretty and I hope Alison keeps writing her music. And now we read our last review. It's titled Julian Baker Episode. And it reads, Another great episode. This is the best way to discover new music. Hearing the songs and learning more about the artist. I loved getting to know Julian through this intimate and candid conversation. There's so much more to her than what's in the songs. Loved. By Brenda Zinni. <laughs> and here she is, our second guest today. My name is Azin Samari, and I am a film editor, a documentary film editor. I am a huge fan of Under the Radar. I've been listening since the first episode. But Celine and I, you and I, are good friends. We went to college together. Yes, for those of you who listen to the podcast and its credits, you might recognize her name. Azin also helps me edit the podcast. And we met while on a student exchange in Paris all those years ago, you know, where we would wander along cobbled pavements of the Cezieme. If you've been to Paris, you might know it's the area around the Luxembourg Gardens or the six arrondissements. Um, anyway, we would eat crepes and walk in Paris and talk about our hopes and dreams, as you do at that age. I thought I wanted to work in film or theatre or maybe go back to being a journalist. As it turns out, I did all of the above. But Azine, she definitely wanted to work in film. And that was all she would talk about. Oh my God. Yeah, that's so funny that we've known each other for so long. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so with the Julian Baker episode, what about it resonated with you? It's so strange. I can, I have very little in common with Julian Baker, but there's a lot that she said that resonated with me. I think starting with 
religion, oddly, I don't talk at often about religion and the role it played in my life because as I grew up, I kind of went away from it. So I wasn't somebody who sat and read, you know, a Bible front to back the way she did. Although I loved her talking about that because it's just sort of an other world that is very foreign to me. But the idea of what religion teaches you as a young person, that you have to be good, that you have to be pure, that, you know, you have to have lofty goals in life, that you're sort of less than if you don't get there are things that resonate with me. And they might have been, a good deal of them were probably self-imposed. But I also kind of had this community of people who seemed to be living up to those ideals. And so I wanted to be more like them. And I found I wasn't a lot like them. And so hearing Julian talk about feeling like she was possessed was a very <laughs> extreme articulation of that feeling of kind of disappointment that I felt with myself when I was a young person. Aww. I mean, it's okay. I survived it. Um, <laughs> but it was definitely something I could relate to. What religion are you? Baha'i. Yeah, I grew up Baha'i. I love everything that that religion stands for. I have a hard time with God. And I have a hard time with rules that are all like <laughs> encompassing. But, it, you know, of all the religions, it's pretty hippy dippy. It's very egalitarian. It's all about diversity and peace and lifting everybody up. And there's a lot of Baha'is who are very active and hands on, who travel the world, who are missionaries, who yeah. do wonderful things. But that was not where I was drawn. I felt Less than, I guess you could say. I felt like I, I was not living up to the ideals that my community upheld. Mm -hmm. What's the origins of Baha'ism? Do you call it Baha'ism? You could call it Baha'ism. It's a religion that originated in Iran in the 1800s. And the Baha'is have always kind of been cast out. They were persecuted in the 70s when the Islamic regime came into place. So Baha'is actually had to leave or face execution. So that's why I ended up in the United States. So interesting. What was the other thing you were about to say that struck you about listening to the episode? I was really struck by Julian's description of when her solo album was really accepted and praised and what that meant for her in terms of having to go down a certain path in her career. Like it seemed like there was a great sense of loss for her of losing that, you know, making music with her friends. And um, that was a beautiful thing to hear articulated. I've certainly felt that, hmm. you know, as an editor, it was never my intention to work in documentary, but I kind of ended up here through a series of jobs that I had that kind of put me in this place coming from a background of loving film and studying it and wanting to know everything about it, kind of fighting my parents to be able to try this career before, you know, taking on a more practical career. <laughs> it was like I kind of landed on a path that was not my chosen path. And I certainly like I battled that path. I was I was like, this is not this is not what I'm meant to be doing. Like documentaries are too there's too much truth. I think what I loved about film was that it was fiction. Mm. I loved that film created a world that had nothing to do with this world sometimes. Mm. The filmmakers that I really loved, Jane Campion, Martin Scorsese, 
Abbas Kirastami, like all of those filmmakers were very poetic. And then I found myself in a genre, which absolutely there's room for poetry in this genre, but I find it really hard to access poetry. Like some people do it really brilliantly, but I haven't been able to do it yet. I still wonder, like, if I had taken a different job at the beginning, <laughs> could I have been editing, you know, features like scripted films Although the documentary genre has been very good to me, I've, I've worked on things that I love, but it's also a real struggle because mm. it's like, I don't, you know, it's this again. <laughs> it's this cold, hard truth. It's being responsible for explaining the truth. So, yeah. So going back to Julian, I think I had never heard that articulated, that wanting something so bad and then getting it and then realizing this was not exactly what I wanted. <laughs> this is a version of what I wanted. It's film, but it's like, for me, it's not where I feel home with the truth. Would you go back to it? Would you try and find a way back to editing for film as opposed to for documentary? I, you know, I know people who've done it. I think it requires a certain amount of stepping backwards and kind of doing things that are tricky to do now as somebody who's a mother, a working mother, and somebody who's got a mortgage. And so I'd have mm. to go back to being somebody's assistant or I'd have to work for free. Mm. To prove that I can do it, I think, is, you know, once you have that first film under your belt. And there's no saying that I won't do that. I may end up doing that someday. You are going to do it. I am going to do going it. they are going to pay you. <laughs> They're going to pay you your worth to do it. Right. You shouldn't be starting at the, the bottom of the rung, right? You've proven you've got all these years of experience and good documentary yeah. work behind you. I feel silly even complaining about it or whining about it. I'm sure there's a way. I think there's a part of me that's very afraid. This is what I've been doing for 20 years now. And I wonder, can I even do that? Mm. You know, so there's a certain amount of me getting in my own way and not risking failure, which you have to do, right? Yeah. Like, because you won't get it the first time. I mean, I remember when you first started working on this podcast and trying to figure out, well, how do you tell a story? Like, and then when you started kind of moving pieces around and creating episode arcs, it's like, oh, yeah. You know, so the first couple of times you, you just kind of piece it together and, and kind of, you know, to put it out in the world and hope that it, it works. But then you kind of learn the artistry and flex your creative muscles as you know more. So there's that as well, right? If I took on a whole new genre, I would have to be a student again and figure out exactly how it works. That's different from what I know how to do. I do think that's like half of the challenge of being an artist mm -hmm. or any kind of creative type. It's always like, even you doing every, from one documentary to the next, some of the struggles that you have are similar, but it's working out a different knot. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, there's always that that you're doing. I just feel like, you know, that moment where your path went in a different way, that fork in the road happened without you realizing you'd taken that path. Mm -hmm. It's like, I feel like it's never too late for you to 
make a different path for yourself. It's difficult for sure. Yeah. I like even for me, it's about having children grow up a little bit so that you're not at their beck and call. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and like then being able to say, well, this is what I want to do now. Like, you know, and it's like the mortgage and all, all those things are very like real world problems yeah. that make an impact and like what decisions you make, you know, as to what you do with your time and your work and your career. But yeah, I have faith in you, Azim. Oh, I'm going to well, bug you. I, I love that. I, I feel, yeah, I feel your faith. Um, <laughs> definitely. I think that women kind of mothers in particular end up having several careers just because they follow the phases of their children growing up and what they're able to do. That's so true. Just reflecting on like friends that I've known that are doing different things in their life now just because their kids are a little bit older yeah. and they don't want to be office bound in a career that just sucks the life out of them mm -hmm. and gives them no time to do anything else and is creatively unfulfilling. Yeah. That is not to say that men don't feel that too. No, of course. No, I, absolutely. They feel that. We, we all feel that. But yeah, the amount of time that you have and the amount of energy that you have to give to your profession, that changes. Mm, interesting. I think mm. it'll come full circle for you again, mm. like for me too. Yeah. So what did you like most about the episode? I think you mentioned Julian's description of her childhood. Yes, that's right. Uh, she describes a moment where she's in the back of a pickup truck with her friends driving down the highway, listening to music. That wasn't my moment, but that's definitely familiar. And I could see it, you know, when she described it. I had moments like that, too, when I was growing up. I looked extra hard at things, trying to memorize details. I can relate to that. And she articulated it beautifully. Mm. I think you mentioned that another thing that resonated with you was when we were both talking about the wolves. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love those kinds of moments in the podcast where... It's like, you know, she tells her stories all the time. That was a moment where you asked her a question that she maybe wasn't ready for. And you got something that was really pure. And, you know, <laughs> it was a great moment. Definitely the kind of moment that I look for as a documentary editor. Those moments where it's like, uh, this doesn't sound rehearsed at all. This sounds like a new idea. So interesting because, of course, when I was talking to her about it, like, you're not outside of your body thinking, oh, this is going to make a good bit. I mean, there's always parts where you're thinking that, fantastic, I've got the stuff that I need for this podcast. But it was like <laughs> genuinely, I was just like, oh, my God, you know, we're both into wolves and like geeking out on it. And like, you know, I think... It didn't make the tape. You know, we both talk about wolves are like apex predators. And yeah. when an old wolf knows it's about to die, it walks away and it leaves the pack. That's so human. You know, it's like actually yeah. even humans don't do that, you know, to just kind of make yourself. Yeah, humans make their relatives <laughs> suffer <laughs> with them. <laughs> But <laughs> no, that's a mean thing to say. Not that I've experienced that with anybody I love. But I mean, listen, I didn't know that about wolves. But yeah, it was just that kind of like I could hear you whispering, I like wolves too. <laughs> and it was like such a sweet moment of connection. I want to hear more about wolves. What, what, what else do wolves do? But and then it came back around, right? Towards the end where... You were like, just like wolves. And we're like, yeah, <laughs> just like wolves. Like, no, 
know. You told me about that, and you paid it off. Yeah, we're both geeking out about like how you tell stories, right? Like how you put narratives、yeah. together, and like how you bring the listener on board with you.、Yeah. Like sometimes it's effective, and sometimes it's not. You know, like sometimes I'm just not able to make those connections. <laughs> Uh, but I think I'm getting better at it. I wish like more listeners would just reach out and say, you know, we got it, or we didn't get it, or you suck. <laughs> My big thing about podcasting is, and I've said this time and time again, you feel like you're speaking into the abyss, and like who's listening to you,、yes. and who's paying attention to this, and who's even making it to like the three quarter end in your forty five minute story. Who's still around and paying attention, going, "Oh yeah, that makes sense. This is so cool that she's made that connection about the wolves."、Uh, you know, it, it, it's like all those things. There's two things, like I want to say.、Yeah. One is like to have someone like you to kind of help listen to different early cuts that don't make too much sense. To just have like a sounding board for somebody to say, "Oh, you know," to be the extra pair of ears to go. That didn't really work. I like that. Keep that in. You know,、okay. you haven't been able to do it for all episodes, but it's so helpful to have that. I love doing that. I mean, editing is so lonely, and you lose your mind a little bit because you're listening to the same bit of tape over and over again. The first time you hear it, it really moves you. The seventeenth time you hear it, you're like, "That's boring." It's really hard to maintain not only objectivity but subjectivity, and to remember and to connect with the material. So I'm always there for the full episodes because I I do think that you're. I don't know. Am I? Am I? I'm just like, just me talking to Celine about what a great job she's doing with the podcast. But I think I wrote you a note once about how you've really grown as a storyteller.、Mm. You kind of can see that through each cut, like you see, you know, between the first cut and the last cut. Like you've done so much work, and you've rearranged things, and you've put in different things that all kind of line up to tell a particular story. Or it's like I don't know. It's a difficult craft. So kudos. I'm sorry. It feels like you're putting work into the void, but you're not. We're listening. We're out there. Your listeners. Having said that, like I was looking just before we jumped on our numbers, and there's people every day downloading and listening to the stories, you know. So I know、yeah. people are listening now. The second thing I wanted to say is like when we did the last mini episode with a fan of Shushu, she was just lovely and just kind of. Getting the feedback as to why people listen to podcasts and you know what resonates with them, it's like I really love that. I really love like talking to people about music, you know, whether it's the artist or whether it's like just a fan of you know a particular artist, and also beyond like the rehearsed questions. It's really really nice thing to do. It is like a gift to have that opportunity to speak to people about music and what resonates with. Them. So the other thing I wanted to tell you about wolves, you know how like the apex predators, they were like hunted to extinction like a hundred years ago, and then in the late nineties, I think they were reintroduced into Yellowstone again, and. Elk that were growing in numbers, feeding in all like the native aspen, this cottonwood foliage that's there that the elk have like trampled over, and so、mm. beavers also depend on to eat in the winter months. And because that's gone, the colony of beavers have like shrunk, and there was only one colony of 
beavers left and now there's nine yeah. because what reintroducing the wolves has meant that elk are always on the move Mm-hmm. They're in smaller packs because they, they're always on the lookout for wolves. Yeah. And so they're moving through different parts of Yellowstone. So they're not like congregating in one area, getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and then killing old and cottonwood and aspen that's in that area. And because of that, the beavers have more food. Because the beavers have more food, they've been able to mm. build more dams So when they build more dams, it means they control the seasonal water flow a bit. They even it out a little bit. And so more fishes start to congregate in those areas of waters. You know, so there's more fish. That's incredible. It's like, it is like, it's, and it's all like, you know, reintroducing the wolves. I mean, like humans are horrible and like just getting rid of wolves. (laughs) So, you know, as my son would say, this TED talk about wolves was brought to you by me. (laughs) I hope you and Julian talked about all this. <laughs> not, not as much. We did talk about some of it. I was talking to her for two hours, I think. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> so, yeah, we were both geeking out. You guys only got a, like a... A little fraction of it. I would have enjoyed more of that. <laughs> it just blew my mind. So you also said something quite interesting about like hearing her music, which is something that one of my other guests, Paul Kondo, has said that, that, you know, when he listens to songs, he doesn't always hear the lyrics or what it's about. Yeah. And I think we both had this thing that, you know, like, oh, Julian Baker's music is a little bit sad and maybe indulgent, Mm -hmm. but to kind of figure out her personality and hear her I think you said everything felt a little bit lighter. Yeah. Um, Maybe you can like tell me more a bit about that. That's one of the things that I really love about these stories that you tell is that you trace somebody from childhood to present day. You hear about what made them love music and then you get more than you do in their lyrics or in their music or in their sound. And I think coupled with her talking about missing what being in a band gave her and kind of mourning the path that changed for her. That kind of made me get a fuller picture of her. I think I probably, when I listen to an artist, only hear what's what the songs sound like and the lyrics that I can make out. I, I kind of assume that whatever's inside, they're putting out. But I think it's really interesting to kind of realize that maybe there's a whole complete person behind those lyrics that has other things and other stories to tell that maybe we're not ready for. So I really appreciated that. And I kind of am excited to see what she does and how she grows. She's so young. Mm. I think, yeah, that's one of the things that I love about the podcast is that the I love hearing the music clips and, and hearing you talk about how it relates to moments in their life. Because I really, I must have music deafness. I can't make out the lyrics most of the time. Like, this is why I won't sing along, because I know I've got the lyrics all wrong. And it's too embarrassing to sing along. Um, But sometimes I need that. I need somebody to tell me, here's what she's saying. And here's what was happening when she wrote that. Mm. It's lovely to have a backstory. And I think most of the time makes you appreciate the artists even more. That should be like the metaphor for the podcast. Absolutely. Do you know that it's like this wolf. <laughs> if you understand it and why people are making the, mu- the kind of music that they're making, and even if the music is not your cup of tea, 
you do have an appreciation for it. You do understand what an artist's intentions are. And there's like just so much to be gotten out of that. You can learn so much about life yourself. (laughs) No, absolutely. I think that I've discovered so much music by listening to the podcast because you know, I mentioned some of the other episodes, like Tra- Travis was a band that I grew up with. And so I loved their music. And I really appreciated hearing the backstory and getting to know Fran as an artist, because I had no idea. That's another example of somebody who there's a full picture there that I never got when he talks about having a hard time looking at himself in the mirror. Mm. I was like, whoa, that is heartbreaking and I can relate to that and I never knew that and I would never have gotten that from just the music. Yeah. So knowing that just makes me listen with different ears. So I listen to Julian with different ears when I know that she geeks out on wolves, <laughs> that she thought she was possessed as a child, <laughs> you know, that she had that moment on the back of a pickup truck. She's a fully realized person. Yeah. And not just about one song and one set of lyrics. Yeah. Which is a gift. You also said like a Black Belt Eagle Scout. Black Belt Eagle Scout also listening to her childhood. I think she she talked about trampolines, yeah. right? <laughs> is that right? I And then every once in a while when my daughter's on the trampoline, I think about her. Oh my God. <laughs> How cute is that? Because the joy of, of being on a trampoline is something that was not part of my growing up. But I heard... Black Belt Eagle Scout talk about it and I see it in my daughter's face. So it's like all of a sudden I have these pieces of the universe, uh, other people's stories that resonate with me, even though they're not things I've lived myself, I can kind of see them out in the world. That was our first episode. And also I was using a lot of archival and scene tape. So I actually got the sound of a trampoline went to my friend Diana's house and recorded the trampoline sounds. (laughs) I can't remember who was jumping up and down on the trampoline. Maybe it was her. (laughs) And like, I'm not doing that for season three. It takes a lot of work to figure out what needs tape and what doesn't. And sometimes just like a question and answer does it. Sometimes music Mm. does it. Sometimes you need to hear the other thing, but you don't want to be corny about it as well, right? Like someone mentions trampoline, you put the trampoline sound. Like someone mentions a bird, you put the bird sound. After a while, it kind of gets corny. Um, So it's like such a delicate balance to figure out that. So that's one of the things that like I struggle with is like when to put in tape, when to put in archival tape and when to play music, when to, Mm. if I react to something that they're talking about and I go, "Mm, mm, mm," you know, and then sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't need to hear all those mms. I know she's listening. I know you're listening, Celine. You know, it's like, so it's like, it's really like yeah. listening and listening and listening to all the various cuts and trying to figure out, oh, that one stays, that one goes. It would be nice to have tape here, but we don't have it. So how can we make it so it still sounds great? And the funniest thing is like, of yeah. course, people who don't hear the earlier tapes or what's in your head don't know what they're missing. Mm-hmm. Right. But I always have the sense of like, oh, my God, I can make this so much better if I had 
a bit of sound design. And like, you know, for the Courtney Barnett episode, I actually got a sound designer, Lily, to do a bit of sound design for the, the just the opening bits when people are talking about childhood because there's no real music there sometimes. And so you have to, and I think, you know, that we, we play with tones and timing and silences to kind of mm-hmm. convey what's going on in their heads. But it's interesting that you say that about Black Belt Eagle Scout because that was mm. like one where I heard it in my head. I was like, I can hear the sound of the trampoline. Let's go get that sound. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes maybe when somebody has said something really vulnerable, I find it really comforting that you respond. Sometimes those, mm, mm, you know, audio nods are useful. I, I don't know if that makes sense to you, but it's definitely... I see you in the margins of the episodes and this is meaningful to me because you're a dear friend, but I can hear you're there. And sometimes when the artists are more vulnerable, I'm happy that you're there with them. I remember you saying that. Yeah. The Travis episode is also one of my favorites. And I actually didn't know that you liked Travis as much as you did till I did the episode. Yeah. Uh, but I was such a big fan of Travis and I still am. I was yeah. gobsmacked that Fran Healy was so incredibly sweet and happy to have those conversations yeah. and like just revealing and just told me all the stuff. It was just amazing. And then mm. the other one was like Ezra Furman. Yeah. That's another one of my like favorite episodes that I've done in the series. And like, and you said that, that that's one of your favorites too. Definitely. I can feel it. like when you connect with somebody, it's in the, it's on the tape. But even there have been, well, there have been a couple episodes where you felt like you didn't quite connect, but I, I didn't necessarily feel that on the tape. It's hard. It's hard to, for you to judge your own work is impossible because you're, you're going to be really hard on yourself. Well, just even like listening to the uh, Julian episode again, just before I spoke to you, I like all the bits where I hear her speak. And then I hear myself and I'm like, oh, my God. You know, I hear like my narration. I'm like, oh, my God, Celine, that could have been so much better. You know, it's like you sound so stiff. You're not connecting with what you're saying. You know, it's like it's hard, right? Um, But for you, like as a film editor, do you see so much of that like connection between like audio storytelling and what you do with documentary and the narrative there? Absolutely. I think audio is kind of, depending on the kind of documentary, your number one tool. And so you'll often do something called a radio edit where you kind of just lay down the story and you try to put in spaces where you want a moment to absorb what the person has just said and where you can picture you'll put in some sound effects or music And then once you get the story down, then you can layer in the images. But until you have that, the skeleton of what you're doing of the story down, you can't really put all those other elements on there. I think that audio is kind of number one for me. And then music, audio first, what people are saying, and then music, and then picture. I love picture, but sound is the foundation that I'd like to build on. Amazing. Um, Otherwise, I feel lost yeah, it's, I mean, you know, you it's what you do, so. But I never even knew that you did, like, a radio cut before you actually start, like, cutting tape and then your pictures. It's painful to watch those radio cuts, <laughs> I gotta tell you, because it's like, suddenly there's 
cut to black and then, you know, you're on somebody else and then they're messy. But once you get the story working and you have the right sequence of audio, then you can build on top and build up. Yeah. Okay. So um, we are about time. So did you want to have anything you want to add? I love the music. Like the more music I can hear, the better. Because, you know, like I've with Julian, I hadn't heard the music that she made with her band. And so I was like, I wonder what that sounds like. Because I'm curious what other paths she could have gone on. I think that I'm excited for the artists that you've introduced me to, even before then, though. But see, now this is becoming a conversation between me and Celine. <laughs> but I always think of like Tank and the Bangas. All the bands that you've introduced me to, I think it's such a gift. So I'm excited to hear who you're going to introduce me to in season three. Well, so season three, we already have three episodes in the bag. And, um, yeah. you know, it's going to be fun. <sighs> it's going to be tough. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of work. It's going to be a lot of work. Uh, you know, I do wish that there was a way of making this faster. <laughs> you know, like having yeah. a team of people. But for me, it's just kind of me and sometimes you. <laughs> it's mostly you. <laughs> but it's a labor of love and a thing of joy. Yeah. I hope everyone had a nice time listening to us talk. <laughs> <laughs> essentially what a podcast is i'm told it's not necessarily all the hard work that we do to sculpt the story sometimes it's just the endless banter back and forth i don't know i think there's some happy medium there that makes yes. a good podcast you know some amount of like editing and sculpting and also good conversation yeah absolutely yeah good conversation and revelations and music appreciation music appreciation <laughs> human appreciation i think even bigger. So that brings season two to a close. Thank you, Am Donovan, for taking the time to write a thoughtful review, and young Allison, who reminded me how being a teenager, the weight of the world can sometimes feel so heavy on your shoulders. But keep listening to music, find someone to talk to when things feel dark, and I do hope you'll keep writing those songs. Last but not least, thank you to my long-suffering friend and editor, Azeen. And I do believe that no matter your age, 16 or 60, it's never too late to choose a different path. So till season three, take care out there. Mm-hmm.